Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. Uh, so, we're in this series, Elephant in the Room. It's really led us uh, to looking at our lives and making sure our uh, inner world and our outer world sort of match. Um, Gail was out of town a couple weeks ago, and so I got uh, to pick a movie without any input. <laughs> and it was kind of fun. Uh, even though her input is great, don't get me wrong, okay? Uh, so I was watching this movie, and this guy, this this this. Uh, businessman who uh, lives a pretty straight, clean life, is working for this company that his father runs. And his father has done some uh, illegal things, and it has caught up to him. And somehow the dad has been able to basically deflect it off of him and put it on the son. And now he's being indicted, he's being investigated, and his life is, is just, I mean, here's a clean-cut guy who's in trouble. They have a secretary who's worked with him forever, and he, or she, wants to uh, tell him, because she's in these depositions, and she's getting all this legal information that he's not privy to, and she comes over to his house and says, I i got to tell you these things. And this happens when, when that scene occurs. So I want you to, I want you to actually watch it, because I, I didn't think I could express it as good as, as if you watched it. Please play this game with me, or else I'm just going to tell you. I have no, to. Oh, no, for God's no, sake, stop, let stop, me unpart it. Stop, 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 stop. Amy, sit down, please. Sit up. Sit down. Oh, sit down. Careful, careful. You have to understand what this is like for me right now. Oh, my God. Oh, Picture a very angry ocean, a storm, and I'm on this little tiny boat. And miraculously, this boat is still afloat. And that boat is that I haven't done anything wrong. Like allowing you to tell me something you're legally constrained from revealing. Not doing anything wrong is what's keeping me afloat. If I lose that, I'm gone. Don't rock the boat. I know something about the boat. Stop! I love the image of I got, a, I got a mess in front of me. The only thing I have is what I can control, and that is my integrity. And I don't want to lose it for anything. Now, she doesn't give up. And he has a moment when he finally runs toward the door of his apartment and says, don't make me run out of my own apartment. And she finally realizes he doesn't want to do anything illegal and jeopardize his integrity. The intense awareness of, his in, of, that little, of that little boat in his life, like how often are you aware that that's, that's, your, that's your lifeline? It's the only thing keeping you afloat. And then how willing physically are you to, to keep it safe? 
Would you run out of your kitchen right into the face of someone who was about to say or do something to protect it? Would you run out of your own apartment? See, to protect the inside, which nobody can see, the outer world has to participate, has to be engaged to the point where I, if I have to run, I'll run to protect it. That's the inner world and the outer world matching. As believers, that's what we're being challenged to do in this series. Spirituality, we have said, is when the invisible makes its way out. Something I want inside makes its way out and I physically make it happen. It's when God's will and his ways actually materialize in my life. And to do that, we said, requires really two things. That's sort of what we've boiled it down to. The first one was everything is spiritual. It's the whole 96%, 4% image we've used. 4% of the universe is material. The rest of it is dark. It's, you can't see it. It's invisible. It's the majority of the world. And so we've said, spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. Behind the material, there's a more real world that's foundational to the material. It, the, four, the 4% wouldn't exist if the spiritual didn't. And then the second thing we said, and you kind of got to get this explained for you, is welcome legitimate pain. Because when the invisible meets the physical, it's going to hurt. And so you got to welcome legitimate pain versus illegitimate pain. Legitimate pain is the word we use, discipline, where uh, you, you do something that's difficult and painful. You choose it so that you can attain some goal. Illegitimate pain is the pain of not reaching the goal. It's the consequences of not choosing suffering. Suffering comes anyway. Usually worse. So, the body is included. I've got to bring my body in as an ally to help me with the spiritual goals and spiritual life that I have. I cannot separate those two. We saw in Romans 12 that the body has to be sacrificed. That's reasonable worship. In other words, spiritual fulfillment is the body's job. That's what your body is for once you become a believer, to help you accomplish the spiritual life. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, uh, you don't always want what God wants. And furthermore, sometimes we're physically incapable of doing what he wants, even if we do want it. And so Paul says, you need your body to respond. We looked at the illustration of Peter and the disciples sleeping when they should have been praying. In other words, preparing themselves physically and spiritually for what was going to happen. For the arrest of Jesus and the opportunity to deny Christ, which they did. Peter did. So, uh, this is a really important spiritual insight. That I have to see my body as an important spiritual instrument. Uh, to become what God wants to be, because 
It's how what's spiritual comes to life. And I have direct control over this. I have direct control over this. I can't control the world. I got that storm going on out there. But in this little boat, this boat of my body, I can't control it. Uh, and just think about your spiritual life for a minute. We're going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount. It's on my mind. So uh, think about all the things that happen in the Sermon on the Mount and what you need your body to be able to do to fulfill the Sermon on the Mount. Good deeds. Don't you need your body to do good deeds? You do. How about turn the other cheek? Uh, How about uh, go the extra mile? That was a literal mile, by the way. (laughs) You know, where the Roman guy would come up and say, carry my pack for a mile. And Jesus says, I want you to be able to carry it two for people. Well, what if you say to God, uh, to the guy who asked you, I'm really not in shape to go two miles. I don't even think I can go one with you, buddy, to be honest. (laughs) I'll carry that thing about a half a mile and then I'm done. That's your body not capable of fulfilling Are you seeing the connections? Okay. Uh, So Colossians 3, 1 to 5 and verse 8 really bring this together. And I want just to show it to you uh, real, real fast. We looked at this. In Romans 12, you have the same sort of idea. But notice what he says. If you've been raised with Christ... Baptism says you, you die with him and you're raised with him. You're raised with him to a new life. So what, is, what does he say? So seek things that are above. That's the 96%. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If he's seated at the right hand of God, he's in charge. So whatever he wants. When you seek things that are above, you're wanting what he wants. Set your minds on the things that are above. Not on things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But notice what he says. Let's go back to that. You have died. You get baptized. You get saved. There's a death that occurs. But notice what he says. He's not done. But you still have to put to death. You still got to kill some things in your life. You die spiritually, but physically something better die too. Or there is, or what is well, what else do you have? What do you have? So what is earthly in you? Put to death what is earthly in you. And you know this line. It's better probably translated. Uh, put to death the members of your earthly body, the members of your body, literally members of your body. But rather than describe body parts, he describes sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So he says, you're going to have to kill. What what do I have to put to death? The members of my body, my body parts that are on the earth. I've got to put those to death in order to kill these sins. In other words, if my body does not follow suit with this spiritual thing above that's happened to me, it's never going to make its way here, and these things are going to dominate my life. These are the things that dominate a person's life who, who, who doesn't, have a supernatural life from above. But if you do, then you gotta, you got to kill some things. And he goes on to describe some other ones. That's how you once walked, physical image. Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie to one another. You've put off 
the old self with its practices. It's very physical language. Now, uh, something really is amazing uh, that's going on here that I want to just alert you to. The Colossians defined the spiritual life. We do this too, so hang in there. The, the, the Colossians defined the spiritual life as these sort of heavenly experiences. So we read chapter 2. Before you get to chapter 3, uh, they have all these mystical experiences. They love feeling God, seeing God, visions, angels, all this kind of stuff, mystical stuff. Uh, and what it did was it gave them an inflated sense of spirituality. Uh, that somehow spirituality's up there in the 96%, but it never makes its way to the 4% here. Okay, it's just sort of up there. And spirituality just becomes feelings and experiences. Uh, and Paul uses this sort of spatial language as if to help the, or the Colossians realize they've spatialized spirituality to something up there They've located spirituality out there, and they don't see how it comes to life in real life. And Paul says, that's not spirituality. So he uses this cosmic geography, this spatial language to say, yes, there is something above. You should seek what is above. But if you're really seeking what's above, it will make its way to earth, and you'll kill the members of your body to make it happen here. You see what he's saying? It's just a phenomenal image. And so Paul is saying, you can't have this above spiritual life and it never makes its way into the members of your body and your body actually do it. This is so great. And I'll tell you what that does for you from a spiritual perspective, the insight it gives you. We all love spiritual experiences. And if you're Christian long enough, you have them. You have. Every once in a while, you'll just have this moment. It's glorious. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's worshipful. Um, spiritual experiences do not transform character. How many times have you had something really feel good in here, go out there and you're still your old jerky self? Because great experiences don't transform character. Action transforms character. Uh, I'll never forget, maybe you saw this. This was way back in 07. I wrote it down. Uh, they were advertising, you know, they're always advertising some new physical exercise machine. This one advertised, and the slogan was motionless exercise. <laughs> That's how most of us exercise. Without motion. This is what Paul's trying to say. We want spiritual experiences, but we don't have to do anything. And that's a lot of how our spiritual lives look. This is a, this is a profound uh, statement that he makes. Um, do you remember in 1 Samuel? If, I'm telling you, 1 Samuel is packed with spiritual truth. Now, I'm, that's what I'm reading in my quiet times right now is 1 Samuel. And there is that moment in 1 Samuel where Saul comes into the temple and he makes sacrifices. God tells him exactly what this King Saul. Go out there and do X, Y, and Z. And Saul goes out there and does just Z. He didn't do X and Y. So he comes back and he's all excited to come to God and say that he did Z. 
He made his sacrifices and he did Z. And God comes back and says, why didn't you do X and Y? And then he says something to Saul that's a spiritual principle. I, I prefer obedience over sacrifice. I know you probably felt really good about coming into the temple and doing something spiritual with me, but then you went out there and you didn't do what I told you to do. I'd rather you do what I told you to do. That's an incredible insight into how God expects your spiritual life to operate. Uh, so once you realize the importance of your body to the spiritual life, then you start reading the New Testament going, I can't believe how many illusions there are, by Paul especially, but in the New Testament, to the role that my body plays in the spiritual life. Um, I wrote my thesis on this one in seminary. It takes about a year to, to write. You, it's about 90 pages. And all my research was done on the athlete metaphor in the New Testament. How many times it's used and how it's used. And how the athlete metaphor uh, is used by the New Testament writers to describe how your spiritual life ought to look. Very similar to how athletes train it's how Christians ought to view their spiritual life because their body is such a significant Well, we'll look at that a little bit more uh, in the week to come. But for right now, let's just pull back and say, what do we learn about the body? Let me, let me teach you a few things about the body that will help you in your, think spiritually when you leave today. All right? So let's, 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 let's just look at a few. Here's the first one. First of all, we've kind of already seen it a little. Sinful and evil attitudes and actions settle into body parts. And they're, they're sort of habits. And you don't even have to think about them anymore. You just do them. You do sinful actions without thinking about them because they're such a natural part of what your body does in the course of a day or week in your life. And listen to this. This is really fascinating. You can't really talk in the, New in the Bible, Old and New Testament. It's really hard to talk about sin without attaching it to the body part that does it. Think about that. This is all over the, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures. Because the body, after repeated action, develops tendencies, automatic responses. You know what muscle memory is. Muscle memory is a real thing. And so your muscles, your body parts, have sin sort of dwelling in them in, in the form of habits and tendencies that your mind does not have to operate for your body to do because habits can live in these, these sort of sinful tendencies. So um, let's look at uh, Proverbs. Let's, let's look at this. So in Proverbs 6, and he's going to describe a worthless person wicked man who goes about uh, with crooked speech. He, look at, he winks with his eyes. He signals with his feet. He points with his finger. His perverted heart devises evil. It's really hard to talk about sin without attaching it to some body part. Continually sowing discord. How about this? There are six things the Lord hates Seven that are an abomination to him. This is all in Proverbs 6. 
haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Your tongue tell a lie before you even know you were going to tell a lie? Hands that shed innocent blood. Your hands doing evil without you even thinking about it? Heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run evil. Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are your feet taking you? False witness who breathes out lies. They just come out, man, like breathing. They're automatic, like breathing. I tell lies. You see what I'm saying? It's really difficult to talk about sin without talking about certain body parts. Sin comes to live in your body, so it has to be retaught and retrained. That's the athlete metaphor in the New Testament. Because there's no spiritual transformation unless your body can do it. Just like there's no physical transformation unless your body engages. There's no motionless physical exercise and there's no motionless spiritual life without the body coming suit. So let me give you this little test right here. Can you name the most critical body part to train in your life? What's the most important body part to train? Scream it out. The tongue. You're like, how many calories can you burn? And a lot of people burn a lot of calories talking. You know what I'm saying? Can you burn some spiritual calories? Okay, talking. Listen to this verse right here. Just, just, just look at it. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able to bridle his whole body. Train your tongue and all the other body parts are easier. When was the last time you contemplated that when you were thinking about your spiritual life? I bet it is one of the most important spiritual insights we don't even think about. Remember, he'll go on. I don't have time to go through that whole text today in James 3, but you can read it. He will literally say things like this. With your tongue, you guide your whole body. The tongue is set among our, it's set among our other body members. It stains the whole body. It sets on fire the course of our whole life. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Wow. Wow. And basically what he says is, you know, like a bridle in the mouth of a horse. You, you, with his tongue, you control the whole horse. With a little rudder, you control the whole ship. With your tongue, you control your whole life. Because the tongue dictates and drives. Uh, because it's a direct link to your heart. The fastest way to look into your heart is to see what comes out of your mouth. It's like, it's immediate. It's the closest thing to showing you what's really inside you. 
So if you want this inner life that really matters, what's the first thing to work on? Your tongue. You ever watch comedian Mike Birbiglia? You ever seen Any of you, you? I'm a comedian freak. I love comedians. Love to laugh. Mike Birbiglia has this whole uh, comedy set that he calls, What I Should Have Said Was Nothing. It's fantastic. Uh, think about the deceit, the anger, the gossip, the negativity, the evil you speak. You talk your way into evil. Um, there's another thing. I'm just going to mention this to you right now. We'll look at it down the road. But another real fast way to measure the heart is your treasures and your money. If you don't want to deal with money in your life, if you've avoided money, in the whole topic of money in your life, any, any part of it, it's one of the other fastest ways, Jesus says. Where your treasure is, your what? Your heart is. Puts a whole new meaning to put your money where your mouth is. Your mouth and your money are the fastest ways to test. You're having great spiritual experiences, but you're not doing either of those well. Then that 96% isn't coming into your life. So that's the first thing. Sin actually resides in your body parts. So here's the second thing I would tell you. Focusing then, if I want a spiritual life the way God wants me to, I, I would need to focus on my body parts as an integral part of my spiritual life. Now think about that thought. Really? How do I focus on my physical in order to do this? Well, I want you to notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. This is really uh, profound. Um, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, dead to sin, and alive to God. This whole image is, if you take the metaphor of being dead, if your body's dead, it can't do, it doesn't do anything for God. But if it's alive, then it's doing things for God. Well, what would a life look like? Like that. Uh, do not let sin reign in what? Your body. Because that's where sin dominates. That's where sin happens. And you obey its passions. Present your members. This is the word Paul uses re relatively when he says present your bodies, your members. Present. Remember I told you Paul uses this word a lot. Present your members, your body parts. Present them, offer them, surrender them, use them as instruments for unrighteousness. Don't use them as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life, brought from death to life, and your members to your members, your body parts, to God as instruments of righteousness. In other words, the word instruments means weapons. It's a military sort of image which your body becomes weapons in the spiritual life. And so the image here is when you use the weapons in an unholy way, in a sinful way, you're essentially a traitor. Sin is 
committing treason. It's committing, uh, I mean, you're going against your own team when you use your body parts for the other team. Using weapons to do evil instead of good. Just a powerful image. Uh, So that's the second one. I mean, somehow, there's no way to escape, in Paul's mind, focusing on your body to some degree, maybe to a significant degree, if I'm going to be the person God wants me to be. All right, finally, it's not my body. This is another thing that's probably pretty radical. It's not your body. When you come to Christ, he gets that too. I don't know if the, how, how well that registers in the life of the average person who gives themselves to Christ, that your body comes with it, that your body's part of the deal. This flies directly into the face of a culture who lives by the self-assertion that's made in the claim, it's my body, it's my own body. How ruined are we as a society because everybody treats their body like it's their own? How ruined are we? Can you even begin to measure the evil that exists in the world because we treat our bodies like that? That's why, that is why when God saves you, he's gotta save your body too or you're just gonna continue to do what you've always done. It just makes sense. The body is a great servant. It's a horrible master. So let me read something to you, and I'm going to give you some observations, and we'll be done. I'm just going to read this text to you, sort of like I did last week, and just let it come to life for you without showing it on the screen. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And I don't want to be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That was a slogan that the Corinthians used. They just sort of viewed the physical life as, well, you got physical things you got to do, you got spiritual things you got to do. If the body wants it, give it to it. That's the whole idea of the stomach. The stomach's for food, so give it food. And you sort of create, the, there's that body part again that you just say, well, that's what it's for, I'm going to use it. It's just a self-centered slogan. And here's what Paul says, God's going to destroy both of those, your stomach and your body. They're not ultimate. Don't let them, don't let them be ultimate in your life. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not meant for that. Not when you become a believer. The body is not meant for that. It's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Wow, what if you got your self-image from that verse? My body's for him. It's not important what the world sees or thinks of it. It's my tool for spiritual use. That's all it's for. But it's part of the package. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Wow. Wow. Can't get any clearer than that. 
Should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Wow. That's the inside and the outside. God is inside of me, and because of that, he owns my body. And what I do with it, he's attached to that. Wow. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Wait a minute, I thought you bought my soul so I could go to heaven. No, I bought your soul and your body. I own it. So, Paul says, glorify God in your body. Isn't that great? So here's my observations, and we'll be done. Just quickly. We got more to do. We got a couple weeks. Uh, they limit my time here. I don't know if you know that. They limit my time here. You know, we're on TV and all this other stuff. We really limit my time. So observations. Uh, and this is where I want to get as practical with you as I can. Uh, if the body is not ultimate, that means physical desires aren't ultimate. They shouldn't be the ultimate thing in my life. Um, it's been redeemed. Salvation includes my body. You would read from that text. And it's central to my spiritual life. God lives in it, and he owns it. Those are the spiritual observations you get out of 1 Corinthians 6. Here's the practical ones. We'll call them the body challenge. I got four, four of them for you. Let's look at the first one. Here's the first thing I would say with your body that you need to do, spiritually speaking. Offer it to God. Paul says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Offer it. Come to grips with the fact that it's not yours. Uh, here's, an, here's something you can do. These are just, now we're just getting practical. Here's a way you can start approaching your spiritual life like this. Lay prostate on the floor. We'll all do this at some point. In, let's see if you can do this in the next seven days. Lay prostate on the floor with your face in the carpet. Put it on the ground like you were sacrificing it and literally go through your body parts, start at your feet. God, I want my feet to move and go where you want them to go and to stop going where I tend to want to take them and just come right up your body until you get to your mouth and then your eyes and just present them to God. If you want a book to help you with this, uh, Francis Havergal has a little book called Kept for the Master's Use, which she literally goes through the body parts and shows you how to pray. We'll put that online if you want the book. Start with your tongue. You could start from the head and go down. Ask yourself, what am I saying? And what is it saying about me that I'm saying that? That's a great spiritual test for the week. Do you hear yourself? Listen for slogans like the ones the Corinthians had. Food's for the stomach, stomach's for food. Because you use them in your head. Advertisers know this. You're going to see that at the Super Bowl today. Advertisers know so they use slogans because they'll get in your head and they'll dictate your life without you even knowing it or thinking about it. And you say things to yourself like, I deserve. I work hard. I'm not hurting anybody. How many slogans do you think operate in your head where the slogan drives you, controls you, instead of Scripture or the Spirit. Catch those phrases that are driving your behavior. You use them as justifications and rationalizations. Catch the slogans going on in your head. 
Second thing. Put the body in its place. In the course of, of the week, this is when you say no to it. And you don't say no to it because you have to necessarily. You just say no to it because you want to remind it it's not in control. I'd really love to do that, watch that, eat that, have that, get that, buy that, do that, whatever it is. And you just say, no, sorry. And watch what happens. It'll live. <laughs> it won't die. Sometimes you think, I'm going to die if I don't. That's not true. Your, your sorry behind will wake up tomorrow morning. Just remind it. It's not in control. Third, don't abuse it or idolize it. We live in a world that does both of these. And we've all developed ways that we abuse our bodies or idolize it. So are you doing something you know is hurting you? That would be the first place to begin. Do you hate your body? Because God would say, your body's from me. It's a tool. Do you care for it? I guarantee you come up with some ways you're not really caring for your body that you could. Uh, do you focus too much on it? We all have tendencies in these. Remember, it's a, it's a spiritual tool. It's a spiritual weapon. And my last one, and then we'll pray. Don't manipulate others with it. I'm going to give you two ways that that happens. The first one is stimulate. Well, you use it in unhealthy sexual or sensual ways to, to attract attention. You use it to flirt. You use it to, to get some unholy attention. The other one is intimidate. Do you intimidate us with your body? A lot of people do that. They get angry and they, they use their body, some, some, some of their looks on their face, their intimidating looks, and they try to manipulate and control people with, that, with, that, with those looks and those movements where, you know, you think of people powering up on other people. Don't manipulate other people with it. guess we ought to pray. Oh my goodness, Lord, we are sitting here just I would imagine every person in this room having some sort of mental shift on what it means to live godly. Forgive us for how we use our bodies, how we see our bodies, how we treat our bodies. 
help us to begin to realize you've redeemed it and you want it to be your servant, not just our hearts. You want it to come out in our life. May we start to turn our spiritual lives toward this reality. We can only do that because of you, Christ. Lord, you took on a human body. You lived a perfect life, and you gave that body up for us, and because you did, we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.